again, when I did used to underwrite because after I did the CIBC thing and it was not profitable, I ended up becoming an underwriter at MCAP. So right. you see a lot of documents and down payment confirmation is very telling. So obviously make sure if the person's salaried, the salary is going in bi-weekly or whatever the pay stub and letter indicate. Look for items that don't show on the credit bureau. So I've seen debits for car payments that for whatever reason aren't showing on the credit report, but do show in the bank statements. So it's not just a matter of looking at the deposits, look at the debits as well to make sure that there's nothing undisclosed that's not going to come back and haunt you later. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation, Scott Peckford here. Today's show with Ann Pope. Ann is a famous mortgage broker in our Facebook group and always has great answers for questions when people ask what it means, especially do with underwriting. And today on this episode, I find out about Ann's story and how she got in the mortgage business, as well as she shares more than five tips on underwriting. And these are all things that are going to save you all kinds of headaches and problems if you put them into practice. We enjoyed my conversation with Anne, and I think you're going to get some real value out of it. Before we jump into that, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo's Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers. Very easy to use for borrowers. Got some cool features. Smart docs as they're filling out the app, it's automatically uh, knows what documents to ask for. When you get that app in, you can then go and search it and under Spotlight to find all the rates and guidelines. And then finally, when you're going to hit submit, it pulls all the key data, puts it into the submission notes, makes it easy for underwriter. Check it out at lendesk.com slash finmo. Also today in the Ask the Expert segment, I'm going to talk to Tom Hall from Blue Mortgage about how to make automation seem organic and beautiful. Check this out and check out this conversation I have with Ann. Hey, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. I'm glad to be here. So tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from. So I grew up in Belleville, or as we call it, Belle Vegas. It's a small town in sort of between Toronto and Kingston. Went to school at Western, did a math degree, ended up in a job I hated, and finally found my way to mortgages. I've been living in Toronto since 1994 and in the mortgage business since 99. So why do they call it Belle Vegas? I don't know. I think we think it's funny because it's a place that is like totally not exciting. It's like, oh, I see. I'm like, what happens Las in Las Vegas? Vegas? In like, <laughs> is it just like, what, what? I don't really get it. Okay. How did you find your way into the mortgage business from a math uh, degree? My, and yeah. So my sister had been a top producer at RBC and CIBC for years was trying to recruit her. So after a really bad day at work and being told I actually had to go to Saudi Arabia and train a bunch of men on a computer system, I thought, I got to get out of this business and called my sister, got the CIBC guy's number, left him a cheeky message basically saying, my sister will never leave Royal, but if you want the next best thing, I'm it. Here's my name. Here's my number. <laughs> That's cocky. We had lunch the next day and basically he hired me right after the lunch was done. How long were you with CIBC before you switched over to being a broker? It was only about a year and it was even pre-Home Loans Canada. They had a different system called Mortgage Market Connect where you'd submit the file and it would automatically go out to, I think it was six lenders. And then they basically would bid on the deal. It was time consuming. You had to present every single approval to the clients, pros and cons of each. 
And then sometimes you could find a better deal on the off market. So you'd go through six approvals and end up sending it to another lender who wasn't even on the market bidding system. Really? So, you know what? That sounds like something that sounds great on paper, but in reality doesn't like so you know, inefficient. What year was that? That's like way ahead. Of, was, somebody was extremely forward thinking there. It was 1999. They also had uh, video conferencing set up in Royal LePage offices where 24-7 clients could speak to a mortgage broker. So they actually- 24-7? Who yep. answered the call at like 11 o'clock at night? They had people working overnight at One Young Street in the CIBC offices. They staffed it 24-7. And then there were the road reps like me who actually physically went to the offices and tried to get business that way versus sitting, waiting for somebody to- I mean, uh, the technology in 1999 was not like it is today. Like It was horrible. Like, who the heck was that? I'd love to meet that person who cooked up that <laughs> idea because that's crazy. But I wonder if it didn't work because the technology hadn't caught up or the consumer hadn't caught up or just, you know, like- I think it was all of the above. I mean, the system was obviously very glitchy. People would get frustrated. And- like who's going to be at a Royal LePage office at 1 a.m. to be dialing in? Nobody. So right. it was very high overhead. Oh, I'm actually burn money. It yeah. sounds like something so Bob Ward would do. You remember Bob Ward? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if you don't know. He's, he was always that guy who could see like so far down the road sometimes. It was like, anyway. Okay, so I love quotes. You know, I personally have quite a few of them that I have collected over the years. Like for me, they're little memory aids to keep me on track. So do you have a quote that's had an impact on your life or business? Definitely the win the client, not the deal. Okay, I love that quote. I haven't heard it in a while, actually. Give me an example of how you've applied that. So anytime I get a client who comes to me with a pre-construction purchase, I always explain to them, I get zero out of telling you the right thing to do. So I want you to either go to CIBC or Royal Bank provide them with every single document. I'm still going to keep in contact with you, but if the value drops prior to closing or you've lost your job or your credit becomes not great and I wouldn't be able to get you approved, as long as you provide all your documents and don't make any changes, they will fund your file. So with my sister having been at Royal, she hated it because I would refer all of my clients directly to her she would get paid a portion up front. And then when I would scoop the file back. Would she get a clawback? She would. Um, <laughs> That's hilarious. I used to do the same thing because I found that construction mortgages or pre-construction or even, well, pre-construction, you can't hold the rate as long and you got to right. rate, which is a big risk for the borrower. Huge uh, and risk. So I would, and I wouldn't I would sleep report. at night knowing, especially seeing what we've seen in the past year with Values dropping, rates being so high. There are a lot of people in Qualifying really difficult- rates changing, like all this stuff. Like it, Rule yeah. changes. There are a lot of people in really difficult positions because they weren't told, don't just get a pre-approval. You want a firm approval. And Royal yeah. and CIBC will do that for you. So again, I would explain to the clients, I get nothing out of this, but I'm still going to keep in contact with you. I think I only ever lost two files. One was a client where she literally did not have a job on closing. And the other was a guy who had bought with 10% down and he took a job in the US. So yeah. he didn't have 20% down. So well, you're playing the long game it. there. And it's also best for the client, as you said. I think that too often we can't solve every problem as a mortgage broker. Right. Just pick the ones you're good at and then the rest of them just say, no. is there anything else that you all 
say no to? Is there any other times when you're like, hey, I'm curious how you think about that? So I have a client right now where he's got brutal credit. He blames everything on his divorce, which was four years ago. So every time I talk to him, brutal. Okay. So every year it just gets worse, but he always blames it on his divorce. And it's like, I feel like saying to him, buddy, that was four years ago. It's been done. You can't keep blaming your stupid spending habits on your divorce because it's not. So he's back to me again. And basically I just said to him, I'm sorry, I can't help you because I really do think he's going to go into default. He's already behind on his mortgage payment only one month right now, but he's three months behind on condo fees. And he had literally just done a second mortgage through somebody he heard on the radio in September to access 50 grand in equity. Now he wants like another 140,000. So I don't want to place him with a lender where I know this is just going to go bad. Okay. So that's a unique, but you don't see a lot of those, but I mean, I think, is there any other sort of categories that you're like, Hey, I will steer clear of this I'm trying to spend less time on people who are in the separation process, because in my experience, I've really only had one or two where it goes quickly. Usually they drag on for years. So I will keep in contact with them, but I'm no longer playing their psychiatrist because you know how it is. They start telling you all of their issues. So I'm trying to nicely cut off those conversations and just reiterate these are the things you need to know before we really can determine anything right yeah that's fair because you can't actually it's unfinished and it's kind of a mess i mean uh okay so can you share something that you failed at but now looking back there was a lesson in it for you i relied on lawyers too much to review the status certificate so in ontario i know in bc typically the mortgage agent goes over it Here in Ontario, we don't even get a copy. So if a client had a status condition, I assumed that their lawyer would point out things to look out for and that they would contact me. So I had a really messy file a few years ago. It was new to Canada, 10% down, and I'd never seen it before, but it turned out that only that client's unit had a special assessment. He -hmm. bought from somebody who had locked only his unit. Only his unit. So the person he bought from without engineering reports, permission from the condo court, knocked down a load bearing wall. So they put a $30,000 special assessment on it. The client said to me, can I waive financing? And I said, as long as everything's good with your status certificate. And then he became a little bit cagey and he goes, well, my lawyer says it's fine. So it's fine. Right. And I said, well, if your lawyer says it's fine, it should be fine. Again, I should have asked more questions at that Yeah, that's point. a weird thing to say. It's sort of like your right. spidey senses are like, why would you even? Yeah. So I found out two days before closing, there was a special assessment. It turned out the lawyer he was using, it was like one of these big online companies and the lawyer that had reviewed the certificate. Basically, when I looked them up on the Law Society, they'd like been out of school a month kind of thing. And then they refused to help the client. So I had to get involved and threaten to send a letter to the Law Society. Once we did that, then the lawyer did start to help again. And that client had been referred to me by another client who happened to be a pastor at a church. And he was very lucky because the church came together, paid the $30,000 assessment for him, and we were able to fund the deal. 
as um, a loan or just gave it to him? Well, they told me they gave it to him. Right. So anyway, knows, yeah, that's crazy. He did have room and his ratios had it been repayable, but um, right. so now basically the minute I hear condo, the client gets an email. Are there any special assessments? Are your fees increasing? Are there any lawsuits? Is there a lot of work to be done? If any of these things apply, you and your lawyer need to have a conversation with me. How come this realtor didn't have any? So the realtor was apparently new as well. And also what the referral source told me, the realtor basically, he's like, I think she'd sell her own children if it meant getting a paycheck kind of thing. Right. So maybe not the most ethical. So the realtor had led him to believe, oh, you can just pay it whenever you feel like it. Yeah. And again, the lawyer yeah. didn't say anything to the contrary. But again, the minute I heard this was like, what? And so there was some education with the realtor. But yeah, it was a messy situation. So now I'm very proactive. And again, the minute it's condo, they get an automatic email. Right. Actually, I like this topic. So what are your top three tips or tricks that have saved you from, you know, these nightmares? So status certificate on a condo, you want to also ask about it. What other things have you found to be helpful to prevent? Messes? In Ontario, check out the lawyer on the Law Society directory. I've had a right. few. Um, I had one client, this is a couple of years back, using their uncle and like two weeks before funding, the lender said, we can't use that lawyer. And normally I do check the law society directory on that one. I hadn't because I'd used the lawyer previously, but it turned out the lawyer had misused trust funds, was no longer allowed to operate a trust account, had to go to Gamblers Anonymous. It was oh, wonder, quite a messy situation. So anyway, you know what? I always say there's a thousand and one ways to kill a file and new people when they think they know what they're doing and then you do this long enough, you're like, man, there are so many ways a file can go bad and it only comes from seeing them, right? Another is uh, making sure that they have two pieces of valid ID, which during COVID it's lit a bit, but I've had clients where they've lost great rates when rates are trending up because they didn't have appropriate ID. And so now that is like on my intake. Do you have a driver's license? If not, do you have a passport? Are they going to so be So what do you valid? mean by two people? Hey, give me an example. Somebody's listening to this and they're like, what do you mean? Just like a couple of credit cards? What so again, one has yeah. to be photo ID, government issued in Ontario yeah. and Ontario health cards, not acceptable. So I've had some older people, whether they're doing a reverse mortgage or a refi, getting a HELOC, whatever the case may be, where they've stopped driving because they've had a stroke or whatever. And then because of that, they've also stopped traveling. So they no longer have a valid passport. So then they have to apply for a different piece of ID. I had one client where thankfully he had a firearms license. So we were able to use that because he didn't drive, didn't travel. So I ask up front and I go through, these are the acceptable. And I just make sure. From okay, so what happened? Usually I find these things are usually, you must have had a sideways situation. So what happened to cause you to go, I got to get these. So it, it was an older lady who had had a stroke. So her driver's license was taken away. And of course, being in ill health, she was no longer traveling. I had her approved for a refi at First National. And 
This was going back quite a few years, but I think I had her approval like around three and a half percent rates were going yeah. up. And it turned out by the time she was able to get her ID, her rate ended up being like four and a half percent, where if from day one, I would have been more proactive and confirmed that the ID wasn't expired, we wouldn't have been in that situation. Right. Okay. So far, that's three. Status certificates on condos. Confirmed lawyers are actually like valid lawyers. If you haven't heard of them anyway, confirmed exactly. piece of ID. What other kind of tips and tricks do you have that you find helpful? Well, I'm very keen on getting every single document up front. When we had access to the NOAs, I did that on every single file, whether they were self-employed or not. Because again, sometimes clients don't know what they earn or... You know, I got a mortgage recently like. a little while ago, and I went, I got my NOAs from there because I didn't like want to look them up. I was like, ah, anyway. But yeah, it's too bad that that service is not still yeah. working. Like, it sucks. So again, I have now worked it in my process. Do you have access to CRAs, my account? If they don't, I send them the link, ask them to get signed up so that if we need the NOAs, by then they so how long does that take? Okay, so let's say you send an email saying, "Hey, especially people right now are kind of in the pre-approval stage, and they're you know they're not moving as quickly." So you send them this set up the CRA account. How long does it take for them to set up the account, and how long does it take for them to get access? So it's really only minutes to set it up, provided they're at least somewhat savvy, and it helps if they know what bank account or what financial institution, if they're getting a refund, is linked because then they can use the sign-on partner through their bank. So the last one I did, it only took eight days for the client to get the pin. And I'm not checking eight business days. It was eight days from the time she requested the Because they mail the you something, right? Yeah. 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 So, and on that one, I did need the NOAs. She worked for her mother's company. So, mm. of course- the So then she gets the pin. Been. So walk me through this. You set up the CRA yeah. account. They get the pin. Then how does that help you? How do you get, do you go into her account? Does she share it with you? Do you do it? Like what happens? So normally I would give the client, I've got an eight page step-by-step document with screenshots about how to do it. This yep. client was the most computer illiterate person I have ever dealt with. So first I made her change her online banking password. Then yep. while we were on the phone together, I logged into her banking. She had you did two it step over up her shoulder, it. basically. Then she reset her online bank exactly. password. Exactly. Like, so I did grab Louise. it myself, but it's just so much easier when we can get it through a third party. Right. Okay. Would you mind sharing that document that you have for the walkthrough? Yeah, I can do that. Okay. I'll put a link in the show notes to this because I think that's great. I think that's a brilliant idea because even that's, it's not perfect, but at least there's situations where if you're not time constrained, why not? Like, and exactly. Interesting. Okay. All right. What other kind of tips and tricks? That's four. Let's try to maybe one more. <laughs> so it's like, we didn't, I didn't even tell I was going to do this. I just was like, oh, you know, I know that your friends call you Google at your company because you're like, instead of asking Google, you just ask Ann. So give me another tip or trick that you have. Down payment confirmation. So again, when I did used to underwrite because after I did the CIBC thing and it was not profitable, I ended up becoming an underwriter at MCAP. So right. you see a lot of documents and down payment confirmation is very telling. So obviously make sure if the person's salaried, 
the salaries going in biweekly or whatever the pay stub and letter indicate. Look for items that don't show on the credit bureau. So I've seen debits for car payments that for whatever reason aren't showing on the credit report, but do show in the bank statements. So it's not just a matter of looking at the deposits, look at the debits as well to make sure that there's nothing undisclosed that's not gonna come back and haunt you later. It seems like you're very on top of this. Like when you're underwriting a file, how long does it actually take you to do all these little steps? I'm sure it's probably quick now because it's second nature, but like, I'm curious. Again, down payment confirmation can hold you up if clients, again, if they're not tech savvy and don't know how to get their bank statements, things like that. So often I'll go through, I'm using Phylogix Pro. So we'll have yeah. them do the bank statement request through that because then you've got their name showing, their account number, the financial institution. That alone causes a lot of problems if people aren't tech savvy. Again, or it you prevents basic... problems. I mean, it prevents problems if you can right, use bank right. like blinks or whatever it is. Yeah. Well, and again, then too, you know, we are getting legit documents. Basically, on the debit side, typically you only really have to look at one month and you can scan through that really quickly to see what's going out. And then the deposits, obviously, we know if there are big deposits, you've got to get the backup on that. So I try to be really proactive at the pre-approval stage and explain what's required. It's easier if you can have all what your What percentage of your clients will let you do the electronic pull of down payment, you think? Mm, at this point, probably only about 15%. But with okay. that said, I have a lot of clients where their down payment is coming from the sale of a property. So right. obviously that's a little bit easier. Oh, another yeah. tip that... Yeah hasn't bitten me too often, but I see a lot of people posting is when you've got a client with a lot of equity in their home, obviously you should be finding out what their asset base is. If they don't have a deposit for their offer, don't wait till the last minute so that they have to deal with one of these deposit companies that are so expensive. Get them a line of credit unsecured. Half the time you can log on to your own bank and you'll have an offer. So I just see way too many posts in the forums of where can I get quick money, where if you've been dealing with that person for a while, you really should know, do they have money accessible for a deposit or not? Right. Yeah. So instead of using like a deposit financing company, it does add up. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's an extra one, a bonus. We were thinking five, but then there's six. So <laughs> yeah, anyway, don't, we were looking at the bank statements once and I was like, man, the liquor store is on here a lot. Like literally like five, 600 bucks a month. And I wasn't like, there's no judgment. I was just like, wow. Like you do see a lot when you're, sometimes you're looking at that. I, I usually try to pay attention, but it was just like liquor store, liquor store. I'm like, I hope you're having lots of parties. Um, okay. So what's the single best change you made to your business in the last year? Definitely automation. So okay, what, did, what did you automate? Basically the whole client journey. It's a work in progress. Again, anytime I think of something where it's like, oh, this could be a problem. I developed my proactive email, added as okay, a Okay, so give me an example of something you did recently where you were like, hey, because the whole purpose of a client journey is never done. It's always like, I always see it's a living document. You're always going back and removing friction. So what's something that recently that you were like, oh, I got to like make this adjustment? So previously, I just had a draft for the people buying condos. Now it is a stage in my journey. And it was funny because I've had two clients buy condos since I put it together one of them within three minutes of her getting the email called me immediately and she goes, oh my God, my fees are going up $10. Is this going to be a problem? 
rerun the numbers. Yeah, no problem. Don't worry about it. But about three hours later, the other client called me and she did have an increase of $100 and my ratios were really tight. So I'd already submitted. So I called the underwriter right away and said, okay, the maintenance fee is actually this. It's going up one month after closing. You're going to find that out. I don't want to have to deal with this. Yeah, again, the day don't, of don't, don't hope they miss it. If you're listening to this, do not do that. It's just going to bite you yeah. later. They're going to be so stressed out. Get in front of it. Yeah. So I've got that. I've got for people with a co-signer, the difference between joint tenants and tenants in common a link to a generic website that's not affiliated with a lawyer or anything like that, but explains the difference. I explain capital gains tax. And then again, to take liability off myself, I always say, please discuss this with both your accountant and your lawyer. And that way, if they sell and the co-signer is still on, they're not getting hit with a huge capital gains bill. Right. Interesting. Okay. That's really good. And the status certificate is basically the, I'm looking at a sample right here. It's just essentially all of the details about the condo. If there's going to be an assessment, like you said, if there's changes in the lawsuits, it is definitely uh, something that we brokers, I mean, if it gets to lawyers and it's a problem, it could be a deal killing problem. And so it's not like you said, that $30,000 that happened to me once I had a client who was buying a place and man, and so that you know how your clients are like, you're going to be a pain in my butt. I just know it. I tried to fire them, but they wouldn't let me fire them. And sure enough, they find a property on Sun Lease Land. It's a condo with a dock. And so I get them approved oh. and with a boat slip. I get them approved. It was 5% down, whatever. And then it came back. But I didn't realize that CMHC would not finance the slip, the boat slip. It was like 30000 oh. bucks. So here I am. I've told them they're 100% good to go. They have a boat slip that's supposed to be included in the mortgage. And the lender's like, we're not doing it. With the, like, we can't do the boat slip. So we've got to reduce the price by that. I ended up, because I had told them they were good and they wait, they had another property. I ended up doing a second mortgage, 95% loan to value on their condo at 3% because that was their exist. That was the rate that I quoted them in second. And she paid me off. She never missed a payment. Two years later, she comes in and gives me a check. I'm like, I dodged a bullet there because, uh, but I literally, I had to lend her money at like 3% at 90% loan to value. That's what it should have been. scary. Yeah. And so these are the little things that you don't, you know, if you're listening, these are just, you know, nuance to this where you can get yourself burned. But anyway. It's also uh, too a matter of where are you placing the file? Like there was a condo in Toronto. It was a converted factory. It was called the Feather Factory. I don't know if it's still a problem now. I haven't come across it for a while, but there had been lawsuits on that one. I remember dealing with that the day of a girlfriend's wedding. I was in the wedding party and on the phone every chance I could get. The client had to wave. And between the lawyer and I, we did get the lender on side because quite frankly, it was a frivolous lawsuit and they had the money. Yeah, I I had to push that client of mine to BMO. Actually, I couldn't even do the file. I couldn't even do the first because I couldn't do the first if I was also doing a second to 97% loan to value. So I'm like, I can't do it. Right. I made no money on the file. So I said, you're going to have to go to BMO. They'll do it. I can get you your money. Now I'll tell the BMO guy I can do what he wants with it. But I'm going to promise you the money for the slip. I can't get yep. more. I made no money. But anyway, yeah, it's one of those nightmare things. Okay. So you said automation. And so are you using Phylogix Pro's like stage? Yeah. Oh, boom, send an email. Yep. Hey, don't forget, we're at this stage. You have to do these things. Do you make your emails yep. long or short? Because I always feel like, you know, my kids' teachers send me emails and they're always so freaking long. Like I miss my kids' uh, 
parent teacher interviews, terrible parent, you know, my wife and I both missing. So we're like, the email is like so much information. I'm like, just tell me what you need. Like, how do you get people to make sure they pay attention to it? Mine are fairly short. I can see if they've read it or not. So that's one thing okay. I like about the system is that you can track. Occasionally, I've seen them open the email like seven or eight times. So it's like, obviously, they're paying attention. So I really like that aspect, but I keep it short and I provide probably more emails than what some people might. So there's about a dozen of them from the time they buy to the time they close, but some of them are only two or three lines. Others are longer, but I just want to keep reaching out. And I know I'm famous for not reading full emails, like when I email I a lender, I, I a lot of the times I yeah. I put in the subject line what my question is, and then my email it says thanks so much for your Read time. Read subject line <laughs> exactly. Uh, so. I do that too. I have a very short like you know what I saw. Uh, Tim Ferriss does this very well. Is he'll have like a long email, and at the top he'll be like, you know, here's it in sixty seconds, like just bullet, and then the rest of it. So then synopsis basically at the top, and then you can read the whole thing. The other thing that I found with email is that what I often do is I will bold certain parts because people skim and bold, read the bold. If the bolded points gets the point across, then they'll either go back and read it or they'll at least, so that's another way, a trick that I use is just using bold on specific parts. If I just read the bolds, what I understand with the email, if that's the case, you probably, the rest is just like- Then you're good to go. You're good to go. Right. But you don't want to overdo it. Yeah. Right. It's like they'll let you know, make it a point. So, okay, so what's something you're planning to change your business in the next 90 days? So I want to put together more automation for my pre-approved people and more content for a drip campaign there. So I've started working on it. I don't do things that are pretty. So I've engaged somebody to pretty it up. But again, I've kind of taken to heart the progress, not perfection. Yeah. For a long time, I think I just found myself paralyzed. I wouldn't pick a CRM. I wouldn't put things together because I wouldn't like how it looked. And now it's like, at this point, I don't care, get it out there. And yeah. that's how, how did, okay. I've met so many people that have that exact, like literally I, I met my one person in particular that, you know, I swear to God, it was two years, CRM, CRM. I was like, just pick something. It doesn't matter. So like, the best is CRM the is the one you're using. So yeah. for a long time, I used an Excel spreadsheet and I do still keep one going. But now that I kind of get the flow of the boards and all the rest, I'm very much loving Phylogics Pro and the fact that it's all in one place. So I think Blue is lovely, very similar, but then you have to log on to another site. I want to make it easy where everything's in one spot. Right. I see. Yeah, that's good. All right. So last some rapid fire questions. You can answer shorter answers if you like. What's one thing people can't find out of Google? I used to get paid to steal. Paid to steal? For what? Okay. It's supposed to be a short answer, and I got to know what that is all about. <laughs> In university, I worked for a retailer and ended up being a manager, and they had a lot of theft, but my store never had theft. So basically, at one point, they hired me, moved me to Toronto, and I would go into stores where there were theft problems, and I would steal, and like I'm the worst thief you could imagine I'd be like so obvious and terrified running out the store with a bunch of merchandise seriously did you ever get caught the funny thing is is no store ever caught me so I knew that that was a problem but then they also again being the math geek I am I found a problem within their 
SKU system. When they did inventory, if an item was sold within a certain time period, it was never accounted for, or if it disappeared within a certain time period, you so never there was knew always it was a, it was gone. a delay, and because there was a delay, you wouldn't even catch it on right. early enough. So I managed to catch that for them and then had to force stores to do inventory on particular days to get the inventory into the system more quickly. But also there was the physically going. So what is, okay, this is too, way too interesting. Like I, I can't, I gotta <laughs> stop here. This is so cool. So you basically, they paid you to go into other stores that they like other branches, brands their, in the same store, brand, whatever. Yeah. And then yeah. what did they tell you to say if you got caught? What did they say? Hey, oh, by the way, I work here. And I, I just, just had my business card and it was funny. You know what? One store did catch me. It was, um, <laughs> I think it was called Promenade. It was in Thornhill. And they had a great manager. I got caught. So I had my business card on me that said I did loss prevention. And um, when they read it, they go, is this a joke? And I'm like, why would this be a joke? So they actually were using my name as their code for the road thieves in the store. So they would shout out, Ann Pope is here to pick up her alterations. Yeah. And then everyone would be on high alert looking for the thief. Why would they say Ann Pope? Why would they use your name? Because I was the loss prevention person. So they just figured, oh. okay, this is a name everyone knows. And Oh, I see. Okay, because so they knew who you were, but they'd never actually met you. They knew your name. Right. Kind of yeah. like you and I before we did this podcast. I knew your name. Exactly. And loss prevention. and Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it was in the 90s. So it's not like there was Facebook and you knew what somebody looked like. No, no, you couldn't look them up and stuff. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay, so but how come your store had so little theft? This is the interesting part is you had all the same tools and... Why did you have so low theft in your store? So again, I'm a math geek and they used this traffic counting program to be able to get ebbs and flows of people coming and going. So, I mean, if you have half a brain, you know, if historically you're getting X number of people in the store per hour, that's your high time. You need to staff appropriately. And that slow right. times, then you could go bare bones. So it just was a matter of, a increasing sales, B more people on to prevent loss when there's a horde of people in the stores. So again, that all came from my math geek background, plus then also figuring out the hole in their system. Right. With regarding how the inventory was taken in. So yeah. It's like a little business lesson. Oh, there's so much to that. And one of my clients was a manager of a chain of restaurants called Cactus Club, which is, I don't know if they're yep. where you are, but maybe they are now, but, yep. and they have these secret shoppers and they paid them a lot of money and they got to go in and they fill out like a 60 thing. Like there's a ton of questions. Did the manager come say hi? And, and what's happened is, is that it creates a environment where, and it's every month, it's not just once in a while. It's like they're oh, constantly... Wow. So because there's constantly being evaluated, the service level there is excellent. Like, you know, and it's got to be right top down because maybe they may not go to the server, but the manager knows. And so the right. manager has to stay on top of it. So like that level of feedback creates a better experience, right? Like most people don't want that much feedback though. They're like, oh, I don't really want to know if it was not, but then they don't become great. But it's interesting. Well, um, and we actually had one store where... Like I literally was going in every single day to oversee their inventory. They were that bad, like tens of thousands of dollars of merchandise was going missing each day. So really? we got the scanning the inventory under control and it's like, what is going on? So we finally placed cameras in and it was Eaton Center store in Toronto. And 
they didn't at the back end of the store there was a gap between the ceiling and it turned out that the thieves in the middle of the night were accessing the store from a corridor putting in fishing lines and pulling the merchandise out the gap wow so That's we only felt, found that there. because of using cameras right because yeah they really thought staff were in on it and all the rest so huh. i was like That's i'm crazy. there every day it's not the staff right i can vouch for that and hope like, is here for her alterations <laughs> exactly <laughs> That's what gonna say no we think there's fraud in the mortgage file and pope is here for her uh, <laughs> alterations. what's the movie yeah, i, I guess that ones? maybe too is why i am more detailed here because i came from a background yeah. as well and in school where fraud was so i'm sure you didn't get to keep the stuff stolen though, right you had to bring it back you know? no it all had to go back <laughs> yeah I gotta, I gotta bring it back to the store okay what's a movie we should watch at least once imitation game oh yeah it's a good show what's one software tool or, or digital program you can't run your business without well my mac computer yeah preview and uh what do you think's gonna happen with interest rates in the next 12 months well, I think we're going to see another increase at the end of the month. My hope is a quarter point, but I guess we'll know more when the inflation figures come out. And as far as fixed rates go, I think we're going to see a lot of volatility, just a lot of up, a lot of down, hopefully settling to sort of where we are right now, or maybe a little bit lower in the next six months. Right. So remember the movie Back to the Future? Right. If I can yep. put you in the car, send you back to your first days of mortgage broker, what would be three pieces of advice you give yourself? Definitely use the CRM, whatever it's going to be. Anything that you're going to use to be a CRM, use it. Get a VPN so that when you're traveling, you can continue to work if you want to, but still be secure and go paperless. Yeah. Excellent. Great advice. Thanks, Anne. Awesome chat with you. Thank you for the story of being paid to steal. Uh, <laughs> that, that, that was awesome. So, <laughs> all right. Have Thank a you. Great day. All right. Hopefully, you got a couple ideas from that conversation with Anne in terms of just putting better process in place and avoiding some of the underwriting problems. You know, I say all the time, use a thousand one ways to kill a file. Anne has seen probably a thousand and two, and all of these little tweaks that she puts into her process helps prevent them in the future and makes it better and better and better. And that's what you should be doing. So hopefully that's useful for you. In this next segment, I talked to Tom Hall about how to make automations seem organic because people don't want to feel like they're being talking to by a robot. Hey, Tom, welcome to Ask the Experts. Hey, Scott. Great to be back. So, hey, what's the topic we want to jump into today? Yeah, this is one that uh, has come up quite a bit and, you know, pretty specific to kind of the marketing and things that we do and what it comes down to. And I think it addressed a, it's a concern that a lot of people have to say, hey, I do want to get everything automated. I really want to stop the repetitive emails. You know, I want to do these types of things, but so I want to use email templates. But and this is the big but I want it to look like it came from me. Well, I don't want actually my clients to think that I just blast them, that they're one of many. I want everyone to feel that they're unique and special. And I've, you know, you're the time. special and you're, you're yeah. all special. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Right. But that's how I want to make them feel. That's the client experience that I want. And, you know, when something comes across a little bit more automated, well, first of all, they don't feel that way. And maybe worse. So a lot of people just end up ignoring it because we get so much noise in our inbox. So how do I make this seem organic? Right. So that's what I want to talk about a bit today. Okay, awesome. And I totally agree with you on that. The automations are great, but you want the automation to not feel like they're talking to a machine, that it's a person. So what, are, yep. so what is your first sort of tip or advice for someone who wants to do this? Right. So the first thing I always say is starting at the highest level is just kind of the layout, 
right? And so, you know, a lot of people when they come in and, you know, expect even to us and say, hey, I want to write these emails and I want to look really fancy and have big banners and have images and have a button, a big button that they can click. Well, just think about it and say, hey, if I were to just open my Outlook or my Gmail or whatever, would I do that, right? Would I be putting in these images and putting in buttons and that sort of thing? And so that's really the first one is saying, hey, really, from a layout perspective, plain is sometimes best. And it does feel a bit counterintuitive, but oftentimes that's what it is. And not only is that to your clients, but it's actually also to the spam filters. That's actually how a lot of these spam filters work. They look at how much images or how much text or these types of things are in the email and might route it to like the promotions folder or the spam folder accordingly. So actually the plane is great for your clients to read it, but also for those filters to put it in the right place. Right. I happen to love email marketing and I always use, and I've made the most money from text-based emails. I may drop the odd image in there or something if I'm like telling a story that makes sense. But like I would do that with a friend or send them a gift or whatever. Like, hey, like, but you basically make it look, it needs to feel like it was sent from you, not from, you know, corporate head office that has all these fancy banners and stuff. And like people, they're like, oh, when I get emails like that from my kid's school, I don't even pay attention to those. I mean, it could (laughs) be like on a side note, I actually missed one of my kid's uh, parent teacher interviews because I didn't pay attention. (laughs) I'm like, oh, whatever, it's it's important. I'm like, oh, crap. They're like, you didn't even go to your kids' parent-teacher interviews? No, I didn't because you made the email look like it was a a newsletter. I'm not paying attention to that. So yeah, yeah. So uh, so text space is totally, I think, what you're referring to. Make it look like you sent it from your regular email to Bob and Bob will actually open and read it. Exactly, exactly. And that's from a formatting perspective, but I think also it leads nicely into... The second point is just, okay, what's in the actual text, right? And I think what's important, and I think you have a really good tip on this, but I'll kind of say my piece of it, which is, you know, make it seem that, again, you just open up your inbox and hit send. And I think a lot of what that comes down to, the two big tips I give is, you know, use slang, right? If in an email you say, you know, you know, what's up, dude, or something like that, you know, put these in these templates, right? That you want it to come off that way. And then another big piece of that too is is the length, right? People just, again, have this tendency, okay, now this is a template, so when people are going to see it, I want to write a novel to give them lots of information. Well, again, it doesn't seem organic and no one wants to read a novel, right? So kind of, you know, talk the way you would talk and usually that means a little bit short of an email and that's okay. Right, yeah. You want to match the tone as if it's like you would actually write it. One of the things that I do when I write emails, especially like, because I've got email sequences and stuff that we built and, you write them to one person. So what I do when I write yeah. email templates, I usually open a Google Doc and I'll sit there and I'll be like, okay, what is my subject or subject idea? Then I go, hi, and I'll think Tom. And I'll actually picture Tom in my head when I write yeah. the email. Because when I write an email to Tom, I don't use language like we, this, and you don't use yeah. this flowery, weird language. I just talk to Tom. And yeah. then what I do when I drop that into a, whatever program, whether it's Blue Mortgage or whatever, then I just use the merge tag, remove Tom's name. Actually, I think I one time sent an email out because I copied it, I didn't realize hey, I had just the person's the high name in everybody's email. Like I've literally <laughs> made every mistake under the sun. So I'm like, why did everybody get, you know, hey, Tom? And it's like, I totally screwed it up. And so in any case, but the emails read better. It feels more natural. You know, if it looks like you sent it and then it feels one-to-one, it's going to get a better response. And if my kid's teacher would have sent me an email saying, hey, Scott, don't forget your kid's parent-teacher interviews, I probably would have showed up. But hey, yeah. whatever. I'm just kidding. So yeah. <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say, using the parent-teacher interview, it's not like the people receiving it don't want to get this email and don't want to receive the email. Like Usually they're pretty well-intentioned and usually they need this information, but it's just, again, the amount of noise and all the different things out there, you want to make it as easy for them to 
you know, find that email, read that email and understand what's going on. And so, yeah, I think that's important. And to the final point, you talk about the merge tags. I think that, you know, saying, you know, hi, Tom or hi, Scott or hi, you know, Erica or whoever you're writing your email to, you know, that's kind of table stakes. I think at this point, you definitely want to do something like that, but taking it really to the next level, I think is kind of my final point. That's is a much higher level degree of personalization. So if we're using the parent teacher example, you know, if we said, hi, Scott, you know, whoever, I don't know your kids' names, but, like you know, Jaya, is my Jaya sure. So Jaya's interview is X, yeah. you know, that's Looking a pretty high degree. With you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So if you can, first is a very generic thing that goes to everybody. And a really good example I saw in the mortgage context is a rate change happened and someone went into their database and calculated, uses a calculated field and said, I want to actually calculate how much every single one of my clients on a variable rate, how much their interest is changing because of this rate change. And he was able to do it very quickly, just kind of using these calculated fields. And then he put it right into the email and said, you know, hi, Tom, you're on a variable rate. And based on this announcement, your rate is going to change by, you know, $87 and 33 cents, right? That seems- hey, don't forget your kids parent teacher. <laughs> yeah, and that too, <laughs> P.S., yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but no, and then that level of customization people aren't used to, right? And they say, oh, Tom must have written this email to me. I feel special, you know, going back to the beginning. And I feel that this is an important message too. So I better read it because he took the time to write it. So taking it an extra level of customization, I think goes really far. Right. Actually, you just made me think of a couple other tips when it comes to email. So if you do have to write it, like sometimes I'll do emails that are kind of story-based. And if it's a story with a hook in the beginning, you will get people to read it. They'll be like, oh, can you believe whatever happened? Like, well... And so for those type of emails, it's important. The other thing is, is that I use bold selectively. So people will skim emails before they read them to see if it's worth reading. And so what I'll do when I go back, I'll look at my email. I'll actually bold out. It'll almost tell the story. Like if you just read the bold, mm. if you yeah. can almost tell the story with the bold, they'll go, oh, okay, this is important enough to read. So even went back to my kid's teacher interview, parent teacher interview, if that was bolded, if it was a text-based email, hey, Scott, you know, a couple things this week, da-da-da, Jai's interviews at this time that was in bold i'm going to skim it and read it i will most of the time right. we will read the bold the other thing we always read is the ps like it's funny we yeah. always there's psychological i don't know what it is you scroll the bottom <laughs> and go ps it's like I a bonus right it's like the cherry on top right yeah, you, you always like, oh, eat the cherry like, yes yeah. i yeah. bet you read this you know i've done that before emails i'm like a ps i bet you read uh, the ps you know like they're like oh are you did uh, totally yeah damn it yeah no, so, that's a, uh, yeah. If you guys are building out emails, just think about these things in terms of just it'll help your email readability and, you know, as long as you don't overdo it, of course. But like, I think that there's a place for using those kind of things. So let's do a quick uh, maybe recap. And I totally agree with you on, you know, I love the idea of personalization with, you know, whether it's the mortgage, calculate the payment amount or whatever allows that message to be even more relevant. But yeah, let's do a quick Absolutely. recap. Yeah, right. So I think, you know, one thing we always hear is a huge concern. I want to automate everything, but I want my clients to feel that they have this personal touch that I've you know, built my book of business around. I want to keep that. And so how do you do that? Well, you build emails the way that you would normally build emails. And I think that comes down to A, keeping it super plain, right? No big buttons or graphics or banners or this or that. It's the actual text itself is talking the way you would talk to someone. So using your tips, Scott, I think it's really great saying, okay, think of, you know, your most recent client and have that specific person in your head and write that email to them. So talk as if you are just talking to someone. And then finally, with kind of the technology that exists out there, you know, lean into it and have that high level of personalization, be able to go in and say, 
you know, this is you and this is your specific situation and this is what you need to know about it. So the more specific you get, the more people are going to read it because it's going to be more relevant to them. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. So if you guys are listening to this, Blue Mortgage, you guys, Blue with no E, they have a fantastic tool for this. You can actually build out all these automations and then just use them though. When you're building these email automations is one of the things you can do. Think about that personalization. Think about writing it to one person. Think about layout and it's going to make it land a lot better. And you can use little things like the PS if you want. And, you know, there's ways to make your emails go. The sneaky things. Yeah. So I think that you have to put some thought into it. Totally. One sneaky thing I just remembered to someone on the West Coast, he might be listening at the end of every email, even if it was an automated email, he said, send from iPhone. So it looks, you know, how you can have that. Oh, even though it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, even though, it was, even though it wasn't. And everyone thought he wrote it. And he said the open rates went through the roof, right? So there are those Sent little tricks, my... right? But at right, the end right. of the day, Sneaky. it's about making them feel, you know, that personal touch. Yeah, I love it, man. Yeah. Hey, Tom, always yeah. good to chat with you, brother. Thanks, Scott. All right, hopefully you got some good tips today from the conversation with Tom as well as Anne. If you're listening to this, I recommend you go check out ilovemortgagebroking.com. You can set up a free power search account and you can actually keyword search all of our past episodes. For instance, you can search underwriting tips or underwriting tricks and it will take you to every episode that anything to mentioned about that is in there. It's totally cool. Check it out and totally free. Thanks again for listening to this episode. I will see you on the next show. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.